Welcome to the Cult of Cinema podcast, where we worship horror and genre cinema. Each week we watch and discuss a double feature, consisting of one recent and one older or more obscure film. My name is Caitlin. And I'm her lovely co-host, Phil. And in today's double feature, Host from 2020. And The Innocence from 1961. Hey! Hi, guys. Hey, Hi, Hi, Teddy! Let's do a shot, guys, to us. Hey, everyone, get in. Three, two, one... Have you ever done anything like this before? I've never done this over Zoom. Obviously, we're not physically together, but there's no reason why Spirit can't communicate over the internet. Nothing's going to happen. Visualize us sitting in a circle. Spirit, we invite you to use us to pass on any communication. Is there anyone there? Please come forth. What was that? Amy, was that you? I heard it. I heard heard something. I think there's something here. Did you say that? (laughs) Emma, that's funny. There's something. You know, we've connected with something. We gotta keep going, we gotta talk to it. Post from 2020 is directed by Rob Savage and written by Gemma Hurley, Rob Savage, and Jed Shepard. Host tells the story of six university friends who hold a seance via Zoom, the video conferencing software. After Gemma makes fun of the seance by pretending to have a bad spiritual encounter, the friends find themselves being haunted and assaulted by an evil spirit who's decided to join the party. Doing away with most of its first act in favour of getting straight to the supernatural elements, the film cleverly plays with the audience expectations by using Zoom software features as scares, including the face filter function, virtual backgrounds, and a timeout ending. This film is a tight 55-minute roller coaster of fun. What did you think, Phil? That was great. Uh, if you told me, hey, a film about a seance, it's only 55 minutes long, it's all shot on Zoom, get on it, I'd be like, no. No, not no. about it? But I had it suggested to me by the right people, I guess, and I was more than pleasantly surprised at just how clever it was. Why? What elements of cleverness worked for you? Uh, I think it's all about the medium, really. I mean, it's... It's funny. It's relatable. We've all been in one or two Zoom meetings at this point. Video conferencing software is everywhere. (laughs) And so, yeah, all the aspects of that are kind of familiar and novel. Like, we haven't seen anything like this before. I mean, we've seen, uh, was it Unfriended? Mm. We've seen some films that are surrounded, uh, sorry, uh, centered around, like, Skype. Or technology-focused horror films. other social media stuff. But, yeah, I mean, the Zoom thing is novel and having 
all the different faces with their respective names on the on the screen was great. I don't think I can go back to not having name <laughs> tags on my characters. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're, you're one for not remembering names, so it was very handy. Oh, it was so good. I'm like, oh, that one, whose name is that? Oh, that's wonderful. Ah, uh, Gemma, I remember her from uh, the start. <laughs> lovely, yeah. And yeah, I don't know, like uh, the writing was really tight. I mean, it didn't just, you know, whiz along. Each of the characters had their own distinct personality and they were likable. Yeah, and that's a rare thing in some of these quick um, hack and slash kind of horrors that are coming out. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure, like, I, the British humour was there, right? You know, it's got that sort of dry, chummy British humour between all these, you know, university friends. Which we can get on as Australians. Yeah, and but I, and like even when one of them was being a, a total d bag and basically ruined it for all of them, we all have that friend. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, I don't know about you. Have you ever been in a seance? I have not. Please, or, or, or dish done, <laughs> or done like a Ouija board or something like that. No. <laughs> all right. So, like, you, I mean, my experience is that you get a a a, a, a range of exp- of uh, perspectives on it like yeah some people who are who are really into it who just think it's real and others who are more skeptical and others who just like think it's a total joke and just fart around i reckon you're on the skeptical scale (laughs) yeah i might have trolled around a little bit but like it's oh you're that friend (laughs) (laughs) exactly i was probably ruining it for other people so but like you can totally identify with the different characters like what did you think about that yeah it was great it even felt like sometimes you know high school or uni group projects where this kind of thing happens in the flesh where people are like farting around don't want to do the assigned work and there's one chick who's like guys we have to take it seriously and yeah totally it was yeah it was a university group project and like the teacher comes in and out occasionally and like she sucks up to her and tries to like make it to make sure the rest of the group get in and involved properly and yeah just want to get an a plus just going h1 and it was great because like the experience goes from being, you know, oh, is that happening, isn't it? They miss some of the things, but the things that they all see, they all have their own distinctive response to, and it was really, it was nice. Like, you felt like these were fleshed out people. It wasn't just a cheap film. No, and it with such a tight turnaround, um, like, in terms of making it and also even just the, the actual film itself, I think they did a really good job. Was it like two weeks between? Yeah, it was crazy. And it was it was originally filmed as a Zoom prank that went viral by the director, Rob Savage. Oh, well, I haven't seen that. And uh, he pitched it to Shudder and Shudder said, yes, we will definitely take that, which like good on them for taking, mm-hmm. a, taking a punt on a brand new novel idea. And I mean, it, it had to be done. Somebody was going to do a Zoom horror film but during the pandemic did you think someone would be i didn't think it'd be smart slash crazy enough to do it yeah and particularly to pull off some of the effects that they had like the the practical effects um you know not to ruin anything but people being you know thrown off their feet jerked and and chairs pulled away objects breaking yeah i mean some of it is your traditional fish wire things falling off shelves and whatever but some of it's really like bodily being thrown about and it was really believable yeah within the frame as well yeah like it wasn't it didn't camera sounds it was literally you are Mm -hmm. with the characters as they're being shunted around the screen and it was it was really like proficient in the way it was all shot and edited together Mm. um for something like a zoom meeting seems so banal i think but the idea of having, was it like six separate 
cameras, so six separate screens being filmed simultaneously mm. and then cut together and making it feel like it was all happening at the same time. Yeah. Like that's that's awesome. Yeah, it's difficult to pull off in yeah. a in a convincing way. Especially they did um break a couple of Zoom conventions just in the way that they would occasionally go to one main camera. Um, but I mean, you can use the pin function. So I guess yeah. in a way it did um, work for the most part for me. Um, I, I also really loved the face filter function that kept oh. coming on <laughs> even when like the, the scary so snake face when a girl's freaking out. and um, Which was both like, and it had like that levity, but also it was kind of, it felt real. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh my God, she hasn't even noticed that she's got this stupid filter on. <laughs> And um, I loved the, there's a point where, this isn't really a spoiler, but they use the um, settings function to turn up the sound so that you're really aware of the sound and everyone on the call is listening in really intently and you find yourself listening in intently as well just because you've been like visually reminded that that's what we're what we're all doing together we're right now in, yeah, yeah exactly i mean you 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 do actually feel like you're part of this little group because you're kind of like the seventh unnamed zoom member that's sort of lurking and watching and yeah i thought it was really good like you watched it twice i did once with you on um a tv and mm-hmm. then by myself on a computer i wanted to get like the the zoom feeling for real <laughs> how did that go um, I think it's better on a first watch, honestly. Yeah. The second time, I mean, I did watch it within two weeks of the first watch. So mm. maybe if I'd given it a little bit more time, it would have been um, more effective. But I did still enjoy the camaraderie between the characters on a second watch. It's just that a lot of the scares um, I'd been clued into. So they weren't quite as effective. Sure. I did really like, I'm not going to do a spoiler, but I did really like the background scene for everyone's seen it. The, yeah, it's the, the best virtual part. background that cuts in and out. That is probably one of my favorite parts. It's a really effective scare. It, it worked for me as well. And also I just love the end when they have a little elbow bumps and they're still wearing masks (laughs) because it's the pandemic that yeah hit home for me it's like a real repository of all these things that in the future we're going to look back on and go oh do you remember during the pandemic when so like elbow bumps and like somebody arguing with a partner in the background and like they've had to move in together (laughs) and like mute like function where people are like you're on mute and like (laughs) yeah and just stuff like that and you know seeing people's like parents or whatever like someone's dad makes a cameo at one point yeah, but, yeah. i wonder if that's her actual dad i, I hope so it would be because <laughs> it it's all filmed on zoom i know it's yeah. so cute so yeah it, it'll, it'll serve as like a time capsule i reckon mm. nice what else did we catch up on this week phil well in a high contrast to 55 minutes shot on zoom we watched the innocents from 1961 <laughs> never been a ghost story created especially for the adult moviegoer until The Innocents. <laughs> Do they ever return to possess the living? 20th Century Fox, which presented Deborah Carr in Heaven Knows Mr. Allison, and such outstanding motion picture immortals as Snake Pit, Gentleman's Agreement, and Peyton Place, now gives you... The Innocents. Based on the Henry James Chiller of Macabre Evil. Brilliantly adapted for the screen by William Archibald and Truman Capote. 
possess the living. Innocence, produced and directed by Jack Clayton, the man who directed Room at the Top, turned into fearful reality by the magnificent performance of Miss Deborah Carr, with Michael Redgrave as the uncle, co-starring Peter Wingard, Megs Jenkins. I saw him staring. Who, Miss? The same man, the man on the tower. The tower? But now, just now, he was staring past me into the house as if he were hunting someone. Oh, what's he like, Miss? Oh, he had dark, curling hair and the hardest, the coldest eyes. Is he... Would you say he was very handsome? Oh, yes, yes, handsome, handsome and obscene. Do they ever return to possess a living? And when did you first and hear of such things. Why, well, I made them up. Shall I tell you who taught them to you? I won't ever again, I promise. Shall I tell you who taught you? The things you've done, the things you've said? Shall I tell you his name? <laughs> Perhaps the most controversial concept in human relationships ever presented on the screen. With one of the world's great stars, from the man who directed Room at the Top, a new and adult motion picture experience. Directed by Jack Clayton, The Innocence is the 1961 film adaptation of Henry James's novella The Turn of the Screw. This was based on a screenplay by Truman Capote, which is quite cool. The Innocence stars Deborah Kerr as Ms. Giddens, who serves as a governess for two children in a palatial estate. The film is a masterclass of ambiguity. You're never quite sure if Ms. Giddens is losing her mind and seeing and hearing things perhaps because she is struggling with a repressed and forbidden attraction to the young boy. Or if the ghosts of the previous governess and her sadistic lover are intermittently appearing and are possessing the two children. That ambiguity is preserved because the film is potentially all from Ms. Giddens' perspective. Before every ghost sighting, we first have a shot of Ms. Giddens' face, also, no one seems to confirm her experiences, although perhaps they're all lying. I loved it. What did you think? Uh, I thought it was a beautiful masterclass, like you said, in um, cinema. And everyone who has told me over many years to watch this film um, was all correct. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful when something lives up to the hype? I know. And even surpasses it because yep. I thought it was going to be really good. And it was really, really, really good. Yeah, it's wonderful. I think it's in my top 10 horror films. Straight up. Damn. Straight well, that's, up. That's, if that's not a recommendation, listeners, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah, like I, I'm not a big fan of like top X list, but what? But like I would feel remiss not including this. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those films where you're like, oh, I don't know which order to do, but like if I don't include it, I'm, I'm doing it a disservice. I know. It's just beautiful. The cinematography is beautiful. Production design, costume design, locations. The acting is mm-hmm. all stellar. The, oh, the children's children, performances. My God. My gosh, I don't know how he got those performances out of them particularly the young boy because 
Uh, we, we'll try not to give you too many spoilers, but because he's maybe, maybe not possessed by this older guy, or maybe it's just that she's projecting this desire for this child onto him. He acts like, I mean, he's 11, but he's going on 40. Yeah. And he's flirting with Deborah Kerr and it's very adult. And he sells that dialogue as well. Mm. I mean, it's, it's difficult dialogue to self coming out of a child's mouth. If it wasn't, yep. if it wasn't perfectly pitched, it wouldn't work. It yep. would just be a farce. And yeah, I honestly just can't recommend this film enough. It just blew my mind. I think one of the really notable things was the, the sound. So the, the score is very minimal. Um, but uh, but it's very impressive, I think. And it actually, uh, the sound design utilized aspects of, um, and was pioneering in the use of synthesized electric, electronic sounds hmm. from a famous grandmother of electronic music herself, Daphne Oram. We love a grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually an uncredited job, which is pretty shitty but look her once again patriarchy thank you yeah look her up daphne Oram. so she actually uh she's huge just go and check her out she's fantastic um the the sound is seamless it's it's it it hits just the right pitches to keep you involved and on edge yeah i honestly i just sound like i'm just gushing about this film and that's because i am it's hard not to (laughs) i loved uh the the lighting the lighting yeah oh my god Okay, so like we picked this film after watching Host and it felt kind of a bit of a strange pick because on the one hand, Host is, you know, it's really quite successfully made, I think, but it's incredibly low budget and it's the like cutting edge of almost experimental consumable films, right? It's 55 minutes long. It's done on Zoom. It's pretty hard to imagine anything less like The Innocence, which is, you know, classic cinema it's black and white it's amazing cinematography full score you know everything lavish production yeah it's lavish filmmaking but they're actually really interesting to look at alongside each other i think yeah we were chatting about why we would put these two together and one of the main reasons was the use of technology as a way to tell the story yeah and like to control what you do and don't see your perspective so, I mean, with Zoom, it was all about, you know. What is and isn't in the frame and the fact that when you're watching six individual screens at once, your mm. attention is potentially split and you're, um, it's really a, a case of the sound design that leads mm. you to look at one screen rather than another. And like with the, with the Innocence, they actually... So he was forced, the director says, was forced to use um, CinemaScope, which was widescreen, basically, very, very widescreen for the time. Uh, he actually wanted in um, Academy ratio, which is kind of close to four by three. I yeah. don't know the exact ratio, but it's not... It's not far off four by three. Um, so he was forced to use CinemaScope because um, Fox, uh, that's what they did, right? It was their brand. It was what they used. Uh, and he got around that and actually kind of embraced it eventually by painting lenses to try and create really restrictive, claustrophobic um, shots. Yeah. Where, you know, the outside kind of bleeds away into blackness, particularly mm-hmm. in the nighttime scenes where she's just walking around the house. Which can usually feel quite um, lengthy and lethargic in other films, but in mm. this one it was always tense. 
Yeah, and part of that is because you're you're so stuck with Deborah Kerr in the center, and everything else is obscured and mysterious. It you, feels more dangerous. It feels more very, immediate. Yeah, and like it really reinforces that you're with Deborah Kerr. You're with Ms. Giddens. And I just thought it was really interesting. Yeah, and you're just trying to sneak like peeks at things that are happening on the edges of the frame, just like with Host, where mm-hmm. you're constantly forced into this um, perspective that the director wants you to take. And meanwhile, you can hear things that may be happening outside of the frame and you're just like, move the camera up. <laughs> just yeah, move the camera. <laughs> exactly. I mean, even though like with Zoom, obviously you're looking at somebody's perspective via um, like a phone or a laptop or a tablet or whatever. Even though they're using these big expensive cameras, they're achieving that same kind of restriction where it's like, oh, I'm stuck in Deborah Kerr's perspective and she's not turning around fast enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and the lighting, because it's, it was so rich, like they actually used a lot of candlelight, right, mm. with candles that had like four or five wicks to actually shed enough light such that they actually could light the the scene. But, of course, what that did is it gives you only really a direct light on her face and then everything else sort of bleeds away into darkness. And the same thing happens with Host where yeah. if the, when the darkness gets too profound for even digital cameras, it just starts breaking up into pixels and noise. Yeah, and you've just uh, got noise. Like the, the laptop yeah. screen light. Yeah, the visual noise of like the bleeding background. So... Again, you're looking for those elements or the ghosty presence coming through. It's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, with the um, even though they both use technology in such different ways, like that's that's really what's underpinning the whole experience. Even though, like with the innocence, you see ghosts. Yeah, like and they're, in they're host, people, you don't see ghosts. No, it's just what happens, and like it seems like that's the two different schools of ghost films. Do you think that's right? Yeah, I reckon we were chatting about it before. And um, yeah, it's interesting to note that they're both effective in the way that they tell ghost stories, but they're very different in the way that they choose to alert you to the presence of potential supernatural elements. So mm. in uh, The Innocence, it's all about the fact that Miss Giddens can see um, like the people there in yeah. front of her and no one else seems to be able to see them. Whereas in Host, it's until there's a face filter showing you where a ghost is, you have no idea where the presence is, only with the movement of other objects within the frame and people. But you never actually see said presence. Yeah, you just feel it through the yeah. secondary effects. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I feel like it's, it's, it's almost like throughout cinema history, a lot of the different techniques and technology that film uses are pushed by ghost films. Yeah, I would agree. So you've got like in the modern era, you've got paranormal activity, right? Yeah. Which is found footage. Like, uh, you know, it's and a lot of found footage films are ghost films. Mm. Pushing that like that that new way of telling the same old story of the house is haunted. Exactly. And like some of the earliest films were like trick photography films where it's like a guy's head on a skeleton. Yeah, like Georges Méliès. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and so it seems like this is just another... Extension of that, yeah, ghost telling um, history. Really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's because it's a really charming, simple idea, right? It's a seance. Yeah, exactly. It goes wrong. <laughs> we, we all know what happens when, it, when you have a seance. It's going to go wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. I, I, really, like, the plot is, is kind of thin there. But, like, is there a seance movie where it doesn't go wrong? 
I mean, de- depends what you mean by goes wrong. Because, I mean... Are there, is there a seance movie where it's just really delightful and they talk to <laughs> someone from the beyond and they give them, like, a good message and there's no repercussions whatsoever? I'm sure there is, but I've got, a, like, a negative bias for memory. So <laughs> it's like the, the two main seance scenes I can remember from our recent watching are The Changeling. Yeah, which was phenomenal. Which is great. And it's using that, like... It's like free association writing. On paper. And but also recording. Yeah. Sound, which is interesting. And then the one before that was like Night of the Demon or Curse of the Demon if you're American. Where it's uh, it's another case of the actual voice being different, although you don't see the ghost. Yeah, the voice of the ghost coming through the medium's own voice, but mm. um, changed pitch or... Yeah. It's interesting how... There's really not, compared to, say, the innocence, no one really questioned, like, the validity of the seance, whereas in Host and um, Curse mm-hmm. of the Demon, there was always... A like, skeptic. Yeah, a skeptic, straight up, so that there was someone... I guess it's just helping the audience out with, like, hey, this might not be real, but, like, it was interesting, and I know it's off-topic now, but the changeling when there was no one really questioning, like, hey, is this valid? Is this okay? Yeah, for sure, and, like... It's weird because you're usually, you're used to having that skeptical voice. Like it was really a mainstay mm. of films like, um, was it Burn Witch Burn? Yeah. And um, I think it's City of the Dead. Yeah, the City of the Dead. All these films sort of, se- and neither Demon. I mean, yeah, we're getting off topic here. We could totally do a, an episode on. Seances. Well, like on the skeptic who gets their mind changed mm. by. The reality. Or the Exorcist, the most well-known. <laughs> I mean, who's the skeptic in that? The mom. She doesn't want to take it. She doesn't want to take it a, a priest. It's like That's her true. last ditch effort. Yeah, no, she's you're a right, actually, staunch totally. atheist. Yeah. Is she? Though? Yeah. I don't remember that part. Mm. I know that the films like William Bat- Blatty's, you know, attempt to show that modern science and medicine can't explain this thing mm. and so you have to turn to the church but yeah yeah you're right it is a skeptic gets their mind turned around there's a whole like slew of these films mm. particularly through the 60s but yeah um what else can we say about the comparison <laughs> well i was gonna say in terms of the changeling um it's interesting that she everyone around her is a skeptic except her true and you're forced to be with the believer in the changeling no, in um, The Innocence. Yes, exactly. It's the opposite, where you've got like this unreliable narrator situation. Yeah, where you're like, is everyone else lying? Which, like, when you're thinking of it in terms of a majority rules, is, is everyone lying or is everyone a skeptic except her, therefore pushing your perspective towards, you know? I mean, did you come out of The Innocence thinking that she was crazy or that there was actual supernatural um i'm an imaginative gal i like to think that there are ghosts why not <laughs> yeah i mean like you i think it also comes down to trusting deborah kerr and she's so like pure and innocent about it <laughs> herself yeah in which, a way <laughs> which is pretty remarkable i mean she was the character was written as a 20 year old she, she was, is not 20. <laughs> she was 49. <laughs> so, like, they were... 
I thought, she, I thought they were going for like an old maid kind of deal, yeah. like Eleanor from The Haunting. Like yep. she's, 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 you know, looked after some family members who have passed away and she hasn't really had a chance to go out and see the world. Yeah, I think that's what they sort of ended up with. <laughs> but the script called for, you know, a woman who was just coming out into the world and making her experiences because, you know, in the story, she's not ever worked with children. Yeah, that was odd. But she loved children. Okay, and that's one of the things that... Falcor called. (laughs) And that was like... Because my first viewing as well, I was like, oh yeah, it's totally this ghost. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, oh, hang on. She loves children. She's she's kind of into this boy. Is that why no one let her work with children previously, do you think? Yeah, maybe her her reference list was pretty short because (laughs) she keeps getting moved around. (laughs) She's like a Catholic priest. Hey, <laughs> yep, we're not afraid to go there on this podcast. <laughs> I wish they were afraid to go there. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that's bad enough for that. <laughs> I think the uh, the ra- the roundup on this episode is if you'd like to watch two um, varying degrees of ghost films, we would highly recommend Host and. Uh, the Innocents. And you can see Host, not The Host, because that's any number bon of other June films. Hose and who else's film? There's a Stephanie May, Stephanie May a- adaptation. Yeah, there's a bunch. Uh, just Host 2020, and you can stream it on Shudder. And The Innocents, you can buy a delightful Criterion Collection Blu ray like we did. Or unfortunately, we found out that, thank you, (laughs) we found out that uh, there's the Criterion Collection online for free on YouTube. So if you want to be a dirty devil, (laughs) yo ho ho, (laughs) then uh, yeah, get yourself onto the tube. (laughs) And it's exactly the same. It's just ripped from the DVD. But if you would like all the extras associated with it, and we know you do, grab yourself a Criterion. Treat yourself in this pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, highly recommended. And thus concludes today's sermon. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating or review. We really value your feedback as we improve the podcast. For long-time listeners, you may have noticed that the format has been evolving. So if you have an idea of what you'd like to hear, reach out and let us know. Our email address and Twitter handle are in the show notes. If you'd like to hang out with a cool online community of film fans, I know you do, <laughs> check out the Cult of Cinema podcast discussion group on Facebook. And with that, until next time, all, all hail, hail cinema! cinema.